everyone. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pekulski. As always, framing this podcast around living your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Today's guest, Stefanos Safandos, joins me to talk about relationships, particularly starting with ourselves, with our partner, with our family, and ultimately how we can show up at our highest and best in every circumstance in life. Steph has some amazing insights into the work he's done with himself, with his partner, and with thousands of other people around the world. I absolutely love this discussion. Stephanos has developed an incredible following for himself on social media, and we get into some controversial topics here around the idea of, quote-unquote, toxic masculinity, and ultimately how men can learn to show up for their spouse, for their partners, for their family, and maybe most importantly for themselves Steph's got some really great insights and processes that he walks us through to allow us to ultimately thrive in relationships. Thank you so much for Steph for joining us. I want to take a moment to give a quick shout out to our show sponsor for today, By Optimizers, a longtime sponsor of the podcast, has come out with yet another incredible formulation that you all should try. Now, when I talk about blood sugar, many people tune out because they think it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes or people who are massively overweight. That's absolutely not true. Anyone who wants to be fit, anyone who wants to have less energy fluctuations and maybe mood fluctuations throughout the day should be making decisions around this area of blood sugar management. Personally, I'm trying to minimize my blood sugar spikes and I want to have less peaks and less valleys. I want to keep more of a consistent blood sugar level throughout the day. So when we consume something as simple as a banana or rice or a sweet potato or a donut, those all cause some varying degree of spike in our blood glucose and the body responds with a corresponding spike in insulin and drives whatever is in the blood at that time into our tissues. And that could be driven into muscle tissue, that can be driven into liver, that could be driven into to fat. So it's very important to acknowledge that these high spikes in blood sugar are not ideal if we're trying to improve energy, if we're trying to improve, improve body composition. So taking something like the brand new blood sugar breakthrough helps to minimize the blood sugar spikes and help your body become more effective at using the glucose that you do give it and pulling it directly into the muscle cells where you want it. Uh, Bioptimizers has been revolutionizing products for three to four years now. They've been sponsoring the podcast for a long time. And this product is yet another one that you will not be disappointed with. So ladies and gents, head over to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health, B-L-O-O-D-S-U-G-A-R-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-U-G-H.health slash muscle. Use the code Muscle 10 to save you 10% off your first order or your next order of blood sugar breakthrough. Once again, that's bloodsugarbreakthrough.health slash muscle to get your exclusive 10% discount and support by optimizers in all of their incredible products. You guys know I'm a massive fan of Masszymes. I'm a massive fan of Magnesium Breakthrough and now Blood Sugar Breakthrough, yet another one of their incredible products and the whole other suite of products that by optimizers offers us to optimize our body, life, and mind. Without further ado for me, here is our podcast with Stefanos Sifandos. Everybody, welcome to Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Steph Sifandos joins me today to talk all about uh, masculinity, relationship dynamics, and a whole bunch of other amazing, empowering things, specifically for men, because I want to talk about man. I'm a man. I think you and I have parallel uh, histories as far as, you know, you grew up with a lot of these beliefs around um, what maybe your parents have done or maybe what they haven't done and how that forms into your, your current belief system and how you approach the world and how you approach relationship dynamics, both romantically and otherwise. And you do a great job of really diving into uh, exploring your conscious and your unconscious beliefs. And I think that's a hugely powerful um, topic for our audience. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you, you dive into, um, like I say, these beliefs that exist in your mind. And I think that's a really, really challenging thing for people to do. I think, um, you know, it's not inherently uh, simple to start mm -hmm. questioning your beliefs and challenging your beliefs and then knowing where to look. And so I'd love to have you just kind of walk us down the path of, you know, maybe how it started for you or, and then maybe progressing into how you do it now. Cause you know, I think bringing your unconscious to the surface or bringing your, your, your shadow to the surface to speak about that 
is certainly not a simple task. And, and you seem to have kind of decoded a good uh, process or, or a simple system whereby people can start to actually explore their own unconscious. Yeah, you're right, Ben. It's not an easy task because it can often cause a lot of pain for various reasons. One, because when we're looking at our belief systems and we're looking at who we are as people, there at times for so many of us, there is pain and fear and trauma that is attached to those belief systems and attached to those ways that we're being in the world. And then there's a pain of change, right? Like we don't want to make changes in our lives because we thrive in what's familiar. And we, what we often do is to, because we all need spontaneity and variety in our lives as well, but we often will seek that in more unhealthy, unsustainable ways. And, and that may look like seeking adrenaline, you know, jumping out of planes, um, sex, food, partying, you know, extreme ways of being in the world. Um, and so we compensate for the familiarity that we want, but that also makes us feel like we're stagnant as well. And we get caught in this vicious cycle. And ultimately what we're doing is just avoiding dealing with our pain, our fears and our trauma, right? Now we don't all have fears and trauma, but the majority of people do. It's, it's very uncommon that many of us don't experience some level of pain and, and discontinuity as children that is carried over into our uh, adolescence and adulthood, right? And trauma isn't just about big, overt, very clear, or even acute trauma. Trauma can be, you know, dropping a cup and when you're six years old and bracing, thinking that mum or dad are going to get upset at you. And even if they don't, the fact that you just brace for that split second it can reinforce this notion or belief within self. It's like, oh, did I do something wrong? Or maybe I am wrong. And, and that sometimes that it's difficult to shake that. And so anytime we think we've done something quote unquote wrong or that we've hurt someone else or that we haven't done something right, we make it mean something about us. And we're also bracing. So the nervous system is accustomed to bracing and preparing for fight or flight, essentially preparing for protection. And those patterns, they're carried over into our lives. And so for me, I mean, the example I just gave you then was a very real example as well, but I was tiptoeing around my house as a kid because my dad was in a very bad mood most, if not all of the time. Very rarely was he just happy and smiling and calm and peaceful. He was very volatile and violent, physically and emotionally violent. And so was my mum, actually, you know, and that they were violent with each other, between each other. So I formed these beliefs around relationship based on what I witnessed and what I grew up in. And so for me, marriage was unsafe. Union, intimacy, intimacy um, sex, all of that stuff was just was, wasn't safe. So I had to keep it at a distance. So I, I formed these fears of intimacy and I formed this belief that, well, I, if, if I'm having these peak experiences in my sexuality, like in these experiences with women, and one of the ways I would do that is to have variety, like lots of different women, is then I was able to experience what I thought was intimacy, but it was really just hormonal flushes moving through my body. And, but it kept everything safe because it wasn't the deep emotional investment. Right. It wasn't me having to be fully shown. And I was and I was just so confused in my being, but that then became a habit and became a norm. And so, I mean, I'm just giving you one example, right? And 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 I wanted intimacy, yet I feared it at the same time. And so I would behave in ways that would quote unquote sabotage or rather protect myself from being intimate with with people that I wanted to be intimate with, but also wanted to keep them at a distance. And you can imagine like that, that's that's very confusing for a partner, even if it's a a quote unquote casual partner or even a long-term more 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 committed partnership it's very confusing for them there's very little vulnerability there's very little sharing there's very little trust that's interchanged and it can be very very difficult and so you know I, I've, I've worked through a lot of that stuff and we can go into that a little bit but in terms of breaking paradigms or moving from one belief system or one paradigm to another yes there is a process and and there are multiple models that you can use to do that but a really healthy and simple way to start is look at your, it, you have to be honest, the caveat is, or the, the part of this that's the most important part is you need to choose and you want to, you need to want to be honest with yourself. And what that looks like is, can I be honest with where I'm experiencing repetitive perpetual pain in my life? And so if there's an area of my life that I'm unhappy and there's, there's a sprinkle of joy there's a sprinkle of reprieve and relief, but ultimately it's just a sprinkle of, of reprieve and relief and joy and, and happiness amidst chaos or amidst difficulty and challenge and just this, this pain and fear that I'm experiencing. 
you know, in what I'm avoiding and what's happening in my life, that pattern is a really healthy place to start in terms of, okay, what's underlying the belief there? And if you can do some self um, uh, exploration around that and develop some deeper self awareness, you can take that to a therapist, a coach, a support group, you know, a group of friends and peers, a, a sister circle, a brotherhood, you know, and say, hey, I'm noticing that I'm dating the same person and they keep cheating on me. Or I'm dating the same person, I keep cheating on them. Or I'm dating the same person and I'm finding myself, I'm abusive in these relationships. And I'm dating the same kind of person, but just different name, different haircut, different face. But I'm the common denominator. Something's not working here and I need to have an honest look at myself and I need some accountability. And so that's one way of having support outside of ourselves and looking at the places, the patterns of pain in our lives, are called just looking at the patterns of pain that can help us debunk all of that. And that's incredibly helpful. And I think... Now, that makes complete sense to me. However, I can I can hear in the back of my mind so many people, and I'm sure you experience this all the time, people just not being able to become aware of their limitations, or maybe they won't admit that it's their own faults and they're going to start pointing fingers at other people. I know I've experienced that myself, whereas people have a hard time acknowledging that it, it, it is you know, their contribution to that uh, repetitive behavior. So I'd love to have you maybe walk through any um, tips, any advice you have for people who are sitting at home experiencing those repetitive relationships and maybe having a hard time accepting that it's their contribution. They've explored it. They're like, hey, you know what? It's not me. It's them. Honestly, brother, I'm just, I can't help people that aren't willing to be helped. That, 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 and that's true. No, but that's the truth. Yeah, I know. I get it. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can take it. You can lead a horse to water. You can't make the horse drink. And so if someone is unwilling, if someone is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm in this, I'm the common denominator, but I'm unwilling to change. Like, I can only say, well, I, I wish you well. And, and when you're ready, I'm, I'm here to support you. Like, you can't force anyone, right? For someone that's on that, on that fence, which they're acknowledging their contribution, they can take responsibility and be self-empowered. I can also say to them, well, if you create space from the situation that you're stuck in, it will give you an opportunity to see the forest through the trees. So create space from that thing that you keep doing and that you're in, that you have the awareness of, so you can see the world a little differently. And that's what support does for us as well. It gives us that perspective and vantage point. But honestly, man, I, I, you, you, no one is going to be able to help or support anyone that does not want to be supported or is stuck in their pain or is stubborn or is unwilling. I was that person. You could, you could give me the greatest doctors, the physicians, the greatest coaches and spiritual healers in the world. I wasn't ready until I was ready. And that's how we all are. And we have to be willing. We have to assume a level of such deep responsibility and ownership and accountability to want to change, to be able to actually elicit some form of transformation. Because we can have all the support in the world, ain't doing shit unless you're ready to step into your power and say, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to change. What does it look like to make space? So for example, you know, you, you spoke about a, a relationship. And if you're one of those people that are, are serially dating, you know, you're in relationships all the time. There's a codependence there at some level. You're seeking validation and worthiness outside of yourself. You know, whether you're doing it through lifting weights, whether you're doing it through your, your, your job title, whether you're doing it through how much money you tell people you have in your bank or how much money you actually have in your bank or what car you're driving. If you're one of those people that is perpetually in relationship and after the, the limerence phase or the honeymoon period wears off, you get bored and you start, you know, arguments start to arise or the, the more whole versions of self start to come through. And you're like, well, I didn't sign up for that. And why are they being like that now? That's not what they presented when we first got together. Boom. I'm ending the relationship and you go find someone else or you find someone else before the relationship ends. Take space. Stop dating for a while. Just be with yourself. Learn to be with you. That is very, very uncomfortable for people. Very uncomfortable. So that is a very direct and clear example of the relationship side of things, right? If you're that person, literally take physical space. It can give you a new perspective. Get up and get out into the mountains, spend some alone time in solitude. Men need solitude. Be in nature, connect to that, connect to your voice inside that has been drowned out by all the voices around you and the cultural clutter that we live in. Create some space. I love that. I love the fact that you acknowledge the necessity of men and women to connect with their inner voice, connect with what's going on in the brain, and ultimately mute the perpetual dialogue and the perpetual, you know, nonsense. Let's say from social media, it's just constantly running in the background, or, or from television, or the dialogue of media, and give yourself some space to acknowledge who you are on the inside and and, and feel those pain those pains come up. Right, 
sounds like that's kind of where you're leading people is when, you know, you spend time by yourself, you start to acknowledge where those pains are, it becomes relatively self-evident. Does that sound like it's part of the process? Absolutely it is. And, and you know, no one's going to know yourself better than you. And, and I think for me, self-awareness is a key tenant of healthy masculinity, of, of just healthy humanness, actually. Being as self-aware as you can as you're growing through the world, choosing to see yourself in as many different shades as you can. And, and one of the ways that we do that is by creating space for ourselves. You know, a simple tool and technique I like to do is, is I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to do this on a, on a daily basis, is at least spend a few minutes just gazing into spaciousness, like the expanse. We're very blessed that um, our... Uh, our view from our backyard is just sort of is hill country right here in Austin. And it's just beautiful green belt. And I'll just often look to the sky, the big expansive sky and the green belt and just think or not think and feel and just be in that and reflect, uh, reflect. The ancient Greeks would do this very, very well. Um, just reflect on their day. How did they behave? What did they think? How did they feel? How did they treat people? How were they treated? What was, how did that argument go? Could it have gone differently? Um, did they really live in their purpose today? Just, just live, live in in reflection of who am I? You know, Ramana Maharshi said that that was his core tenet of teaching. Go away and just contemplate who you are. Who am I? That's it. That's it. Nothing else. Just who am I? It was that simple, right? And so we don't often do that enough. And so self awareness plays a massive role in our ability to elicit meaningful change in the world. But again, we don't we don't do that um, enough. You know, I I, um, I I think as a part of the the opposite of self awareness. I mean, not the opposite, but some the enemy of self awareness. One of the enemies of self awareness is den- denial, and ultimately, denial will keep us from taking the action that we need in order to elicit that meaningful transformational change. And so, when we can step into curiosity because that becomes the antidote to denial, we now become more open open, and we create inner spaciousness, right? And this is the important piece here. Like, yes, physical spaciousness outside of us helps us see ourselves, helps us facilitate that inward journey as well. And so now that we're more curious, we're creating spaciousness within ourselves. And so now we have the opportunity to do life differently. I love that. Relationships can be a challenging dynamic so scenario that comes up in my mind is a man self-identifies as having some challenges that he wants to work through and maybe his his woman isn't supportive of that and i'm curious i'm sure you run into that and you know you know if he pulls away she's like are you you seeing somebody else and she's going to be insecure what if in a situation like that where a man doesn't feel supported by his spouse or his, his partner um how, how would you suggest a man navigate that? And, you know, even if he came up and, he came up and said, hey, I just, I'm just trying to, you know, look inside myself and find space, sometimes it's not received very well. Yeah. It's a great question. Uh, it can often be a very difficult situation to be in because often when that is happening, the, that individual, in this case, that man, he's, he's also being triggered as well by maybe he feels that he's being controlled or maybe that insecurity that is being met. It's that anxious attachment style and he has a more avoidant attachment style, right? And so he's wanting space, but it's feeling restricted. He's pulling away and just genuinely wanting some space or it's a combination of that and his wounding and his partner who happens to have an anxious attachment style is like, no, 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 don't pull away, don't pull away. So she starts latching on even more and it's just causing more disharmony. The opportunity that we have is to just be really, really honest with ourselves. And so we have to figure out like, how important is this to us? Because if it's a non-negotiable that we're able to have that space and be in our own process and, and, and really prioritize and value growth within the dynamic of the relationship, if that's a non-negotiable for you and your partner isn't giving you the space to do that, you have to consider well, what does it look like being in the relationship. But also secondary, maybe even prior to that, is looking at, okay, how am I communicating this? Am I communicating it in passing when I'm already going on a boys weekend or am I communicating in a way where I'm really sitting down with my partner and and being really honest with how I feel and what my needs are and also asking, hey, what are your needs as well and how can we manage this? Or is it being communicated in a really aggressive and abrasive way? Is it being communicated in a blaming and shaming way towards your partner? Like, hey, you're not giving me enough space. I need space. I'm going to the mountains for three days or whatever it may be. You know, how we communicate is really, really important. And how we show up to ourselves in that process, how we honor ourselves and how we express that, that honoring to our partners is also really important. 
And so there are some starting points, but remember it's a, it's often an ongoing conversation. And if there is tension there, there's also an opportunity for you, whether it's an opportunity for you to feel and express some feelings to, to remain in your power, whether it's an opportunity for you to pivot and change the way you're communicating, whether it's an opportunity for you as a man to realize, oh, wow, maybe this isn't the relationship with, for me and this isn't the type of partnership that I want. That's a little more extreme in thinking. You know, I would definitely be looking at, okay, how can I be different? How can I express this to my partner? How can we work through this and, and manage this together before you go to, hey, this is a non-negotiable, we're breaking up. Um, but that could be also if that's a pattern, right? If you're attracting these types of, of relationships and women and the way you're showing up in that is a pattern, you're, you're minimizing yourself and maximizing them and then developing resentment and, and anger around that. Well, that's something that you do need to look at as well. But again, it's all, you know, all roads lead to Rome, Rome being the inner sanctum of self. We've got to come back to here and like, what's happening in here. What this seems to speak to in my mind is, is identity. And identity is something that uh, comes with some baggage at times, right? So if I have mm -hmm. a, a self-identity or, or people around me perceive my identity in a certain way, and then I step away and I come back in a way that maybe uh, requires me to uh, alter some of those uh, those identity pieces. Maybe I'm coming back and I'm, I'm trying to be vulnerable. I'm trying to be a little bit open with some things that are maybe different than my, my family, my, my spouse, my partner are used to. What does that look like to start um, maybe working through that identity shift? So, you know, a man comes back and he's used to being a certain way and he's decided, hey, you know what? I, I realize it doesn't serve me anymore. I want to change. And he's having a hard time uh, communicating that or that's not being received well. Yeah. So change can be very scary for people, for the self that's going through the change, of course, but also for others, because you're right, that identity means a lot to us. So for example, if I'm, if I'm deciding that I need to make some pretty significant and obvious changes in my life, in how I do life, maybe it's in my aesthetic appearance, maybe it's in my habits and routines, maybe it's where I live and just these, what would appear to be very big changes, whatever they may be, right? emotional changes in how I treat people. Um, all of a sudden I don't want to work anymore and I'm not bringing any more income in, or I want to take this job in Southeast China. And it's going to mean that I'm, I'm away six weeks on and I'm only back for a week and whatever it may be, the big change, right? That can be very scary for people because the, one of the ways that people feel safe is through familiarity. And if we're being different, the other person, it can really trigger and activate their sympathetic nervous system, their fight or flight, but it can really activate old wounds and trauma, maybe of abandonment or rejection, or even just feeling unsafe in terms of, wow, this is really volatile now. And it's reminding me of this. And that can be an unconscious thought, or it can be a very clear, obvious thought. It's reminding me of when I was eight years old, when dad left, or it could be reminding them of when they didn't get rocked to sleep um, in the way that they should have. And that's in the nervous system, as opposed to a, a conscious um, um, explicit memory. It can be very triggering. And so we want to approach change. If we're looking at ourselves and we're being in a space of self-awareness as men and we're saying, wow, I think I need to make some changes in my life. And if you have a partnership and a family and you have people in your life that matter to you, yes, you have to do what you need to do for you. You need to be self-honoring and really truthful to yourself. And how you express that to the people that you love, doing that in a methodical way, we call it titration. So really slow exposing those parts of yourself in a slower way to the people that matter to you and to yourself actually can be hugely beneficial in people adapting in their adaptive process of you and the way they see you. So too quick, uh, too much, too soon can be really overwhelming and essentially is what the definition of trauma is. So when we're making changes within ourselves that we think are really healthy and positive, Absolutely they can be, but initially that can be a massive shock factor to people and it can almost feel like trauma. So just be really considerate because when you're being considerate of others, you're going to also be considerate of yourself. And remember what I'm saying here. I'm not saying don't honor yourself and appease others and don't change, but if you want those relationships in your life and you care about those people, how you do that is really important, equally important for you as it is for them. We're looking at it from the other side of the relationship now and, you know, speculatively, someone's got a partner that's looking to change and that partner is looking to mm. uh, make some changes and they're actually taking action. What's the, what's the best stance to receive that to, uh, you know, if, if I'm, I'm the receiver, I'm the one who's, who's um, hopefully on the receiving end of some positive changes, some, some opening up, some identity shifts on my partner's side. Yeah. 
I'm going to come back to uh, curiosity. So be curious because that promotes spaciousness and openness. I'm going to lean into compassion and non-judgment, loving presence and empathetic resonance. So really seeking to understand your partner and understand yourself through their own processes. But essentially, uh, you know, non-judgment and compassion and loving presence, it diffuses shame. So it provides us, it provides that person an opportunity to explore where and what they want to change within themselves without feeling judgment. So there's a freedom in that, right? And, and a freedom in that means that they're not holding back. And so they're being more open, which is helping you feel safer as well, which is ultimately going to help you receive whatever changes they're moving into. A lot of men are, I think, experiencing what you kind of self-identified in the beginning as, you know, multiple partners fulfilling themselves in ways that um, ultimately prevent uh, attachment, prevent deep connections. And I'm curious about specific to that exact scenario, how you started to work your way through, um, you know, maybe it's an identity, self-identity of like, hey, I have many partners or it's, it's I'm a player or um, you know, I, I don't want to have a long-term relationship. Where do you start working through that? Yeah, before I got to uh, creating a new identity, I, I, I really had to yeah get clear on what I thought my identity was. And for me, the only way I was really able to do that, because this is the way it happened, was I, I, w- I was caught by my partner at the time cheating and being um, unfaithful. And there was a great deal of infidelity and previous to that as well. And that was a catalyst for really looking deeper into myself and, and really hitting rock bottom with then all those traumas and shame coming to the surface of my awareness and having to deal with them. Well, I chose to deal with them. And instead of hitting rock bottom multiple times, which I did, I, I, I thought, well, I need to keep going. and There's something else beyond the rock bottom here. And I just kept excavating and digging and digging with my pick and my shovel, you know, psychologically and emotionally and spiritually, and just kept going deeper into self because I really wanted to debunk these identities that I had formed and these belief systems that I had formed about myself. Um, you know, body shame and um, shame around having to perform and having to be a particular kind of man, having to have status and wealth and money and impress my father and all the wounds around that, the unconscious tethering to that father wound of never feeling enough in the world and really tying back, that back to that little boy within myself, you know. And so inner child work was a big part of that. Family constellation work, trauma work was a big part of that. Um, shamanic work was a big part of that, moving into the esoteric plant medicine and so forth. And But a lot of psychological exploration and shadow work in familiar states of consciousness outside of, you know, having substances or engaging in extreme peak experiences or, or really shifting outside of the, the normal paradigm that I was, the familiar paradigm I was accustomed to. And so that was the that was the catalyst for me that allowed me to just continue to explore myself and and really make a choice. And no matter how I feel, the um, you know the the feelings of suicide and and feeling like I was going crazy and losing my mind and really getting clear on, wow, this is my identity or these are the identities that I've held so closely to. What if I just let them go? You know that again that that player that that sex addict. Um, that man that is quote unquote free, you know, my, my, my attachment and my relationship with freedom and commitment um, and responsibility had to shift. And I was noticing where I, I wasn't really taking ownership of that. I was pretending to, but I, my actions weren't really matching my words. And so I had to take a very strong look at where did all that come from? And most of it, of course, came from my upbringing. You went through a list there, um, you know, shadow work and uh, inner child work and, what, what does that look like? What do all those works look like? Is it you physically working with therapists? Is it reading books? Is it taking courses? Is it getting the groups? Like, what are the what are the key? What are the things that move the needle most for you? Yeah, all of the above with respect to what you said, but particularly the experiential work. It's feeling the feelings, man. It's feeling the unfelt feelings, right? And we use inner child work as an access point. It's parts therapy, right? So my background's in psychology and behavioral science as well. So. You know, I quote unquote know and knew all this stuff, but I couldn't apply it to my own life because I was unwilling to go there. And so I needed to feel safe enough in my nervous system and mind, be able to regulate myself when I when shit got real, um, where I, I just had to feel. There was a lot of repressed anger and rage and sadness, deep visceral pain and grief of the childhood that I lost. I grew up very young because I had to be a father. There was enmeshment and entanglement and emotional projection from my mother onto me, and I didn't get to be a kid. I was always in fear. And then as, an, as a teenager and adult, I was always in anger. Um, and I don't use that word lightly always. I was, in, I was, rage, I was raging, man, 
raging fighting and drinking and just in gangs and just doing really really heavy shit i never got a chance to be to feel that freedom and so but i had to before i could feel free i had to feel the stuff that i'd been suppressing and so ultimately it's it's feeling that stuff it's doing emotional release work um an example of that could be how to you know expressing healthy anger okay i'm angry i've got these big big memories coming up these big energy these big projections coming up you know do i do i punch my father in the mouth no that's not that's not going to be healthy that's not sustainable i i have to live with that right the the schism that and a chasm in in relationship that comes from that so i would you know with deliberate intention i would work moving that energy somatically physically through my body whether it's hitting pillows screaming into pillows primal screaming um being in men's groups and and working through that doing role playing and psychodrama and so forth so there's there's many many tools that we use but that was the stuff that moved the needle was the experiential feeling that stuff feeling not thinking about it but feeling it and moving it and then reflecting on it and then building on that plant medicine is is taken a, a pretty front seat in modern culture today and, and especially in in the uh, trauma space PTSD etc um what what role does that play in your transformation and what real benefit did you see from your experiences? Yeah, it plays a, an important role. Um, and at times a significant role. Um, it plays a, sorry, I'll just turn my phone off. It plays a significant, at times a significant role, um, and an important role. And I never immersed myself in plant medicines until I'd done a substantial amount of um, shadow work in familiar states of consciousness. And that is a trap that so many people fall into in, in modernity. We live in a very different world to when those plant medicines were discovered and administered and provided to tribal cultures and, and, and individuals and groups of people. Um, our, our waterways are polluted. Our atmosphere is is polluted. Our soils are polluted. We are physically we're very similar, of course, to how we were hundreds of thousands of years ago, millions of years ago as humanoids. But we're also different. There are pollutants and toxins in in the in our physiology, right? That that plant medicine that that sacrament interacts with that substance interacts with at a molecular and biochemical level. We are far more stressed. I I, I perceive us to be very Maybe we're not more stressed. We're stressed in different ways, but there's the complexity of our culture is far more layered and cluttered than it once was. And therefore, the unconscious um, trauma that we have and carry is more intense than what it once was. Um, just by the sheer volume of people that are on this earth and the collective unconsciousness that permeates each of us as individuals. So I think plant medicine is, is largely in modern times used in a reckless way. And there are probably fewer than there should be or needs to be credible shamans and individuals and um, facilitation uh, places that are holding space for this. And I just, I just really implore people to proceed with caution. Don't replace your addiction to cocaine or partying or sex with a ceremony every fucking week because you need integration and you need space. Uh, and that's really, really important. So again, this may be a hard question to ask, but as far as curating, you know, a, a quality shaman, because you're right, you, know, you go to Costa Rica and everybody, uh, yeah, yes, I'm a shaman. Yes, I'm experienced. Yes, I've been doing this for X amount of time. Take the medicine in groups of 120 people and have zero integration, you know, zero uh, time by yourself to, to explore it. So where do you begin? I would say don't begin with plant medicine. And I'm not, I'm not giving, let me be honest with you. Plant medicine is a part of my staple. It's a, it's a smaller part of my staple, though. And I, I believe I and feel I treat it with very much respect. And remember, it's, it's not my main go-to. It's a part of my staple. So don't begin with plant medicine. Begin elsewhere. And plant medicine, if in the proper environment, in the nurturing environment, can be deeply healing and deeply revealing. And honestly, I think more people probably need to do it under the right circumstances. Right. And I think right can be interpreted as in, in an arbitrary way. And there's a lot of power to that as well in understanding that. Is that something you feel comfortable talking about is what your current practice looks like and what, what setting up the proper set and setting might, might look like? Because I know obviously psychedelics are big and, and you're absolutely right when you say there's way too many people doing it way too often with zero benefit, zero intention, zero integration. 
Yeah. You mean my personal practice with plant medicine? Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, I, I don't only use it as, oh, I need an answer to something. Let me go. You know, I don't use it as a curative curative thing per se um, only. But for an, an example of how I would and do use it is I'll, use, I'll give you two examples. So I'll use my relationship first. So my, my wife and I want to explore ourselves and each other and our container, our relationship, our sacred union container with some with some more curiosity to, to help us see what we cannot see. We will be very intentional where we source maybe some psilocybin from, psilocybin if we're using psilocybin. Um, we try and keep it very natural. So um, nothing wrong with LSD or MDMA. Um, they're not plant medicines per se. They're more synthetics. They can be beautiful heart openers and, and give us amazing intense visions and also realizations. However, if I'm ever using that, it's, it's just seldom, like seldom meaning once a year, once every couple of years. Like it's more, I'm more into the natural, give me the natural stuff. Like psilocybin mm -hmm. is, I'm really connected to that medicine, that sacrament. Um, and so we will be very intentional with how we facilitate that, where we source that from, how we set up our day. Um, what we're moving towards, what our intentions are, how we take it, the space that we create in our physical home, just her and I. We'll set up everything that we want to. We'll have those discussions prior to. And then we allow ourselves. We give ourselves, okay, let's just explore the mystery of this now. And then we'll we'll take that together, that sacrament, and then we we go in. There's an example of of what I might do. And it's not, you know, and that may come because, oh, okay, we're feeling disconnected. But before we we try, we go to plant medicine, we're gonna get do our best to get connected in other ways. In other words, in familiar states of consciousness. So that means talking. That means creating space in our lives. Okay, we're really busy with work. Let's get away for the weekend or let's let's go somewhere and let's just focus on our relationship and dream weave. And maybe there's some big stuff that needs to come up and we need to do some shadow work together and take each other through some emotional processing. Okay, well, let's do that. Let's do all of those things first. And then we may feel really more, way more connected. We may say, hey, let's still do some plant medicine because it feels really good. And we can do it from that place. It doesn't just have to come from despair and dread. Okay? Or, or we need to fix something. Or we need a, we need an answer into something. It can also come from a place of we're in a really expansive place. Let's actually continue to expand and use this technology and tool to take us there as well. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned some, um, I don't want to say archetypes, but almost like some... Um, personality t types or styles within relationships. Um, and I'm curious if you could share um, your thoughts and insights on, on you know, interacting with the dynamic of different personality types in a relationship. Obviously, everyone's very, very different. It can be very, very different. And sometimes it, there, there's some conflict that comes up and you know maybe someone doesn't deal with conflict well. As you said, some people are avoiding it. Some people are addressing it. Some people are anxious. Um, so what does that look like to uh, interact and maybe receive those um, conversations and communications? Um, it's a great question. It's a very loaded and general question. And so um, let me just think how I want to answer it. Ultimately, um, and we can use the blanket term personality or we can use the term um, archetype, but most of us will carry various archetypes within us at various times of our lives in various situations. And so how we, how we blend that with our partners or in partnership, it, it comes down to what our non-negotiables are, what our values are, um, how we work through drama and pain and fear and, and even how we uh, navigate our own trauma in relationship. All these things are really important. And so from that place, what happens is there's going to be less of a chance, if we're aware of that, there's less of a chance of a personality clash um, as opposed to um, us consistently butting heads. No, it's my way. No, it needs to be my way. No, it needs to be my way. So I'm going to come back to curiosity, compassion, loving presence, non-judgment, empathy, and practicing those for self and for others. And then in terms of personality types or in terms of even archetypes within, they're going to blend in a way that is more complementary and conducive to the growth of the relationship as opposed to just butting heads consistently. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are existing in relationships, not, a lot, not maybe not huge amounts, but people are existing in relationships where they just aren't sure. They don't have the skills or the tools yet to really communicate well. So I'm curious if some of your weekly practices, monthly practices with your wife, 
to allow you guys to open an, uh, an open space for communication or create those bonding moments? Like, do you have some things that you like to to implement on a weekly or whatever schedule it may be um, that allows you guys to really connect? Because I think some people just have a hard time knowing what to do. It's just a new language. Sure. Having fun's really important. Play. And that's linked to curiosity. So creating openness and spaciousness in your relationship, playing, you know, going for walks together, laughing together, playing games together, just play. It begins before the routines, right? Like, for example, you know, we'll wake up and we will both ask each other how we slept. Like, how did you sleep? How did you sleep? Like that level of care, it's a simple thing, but just caring about your partner. Hey, what do you have on today? Do you need anything from me? Can I help you today? I mean, I've got a really full day. And is there something that you need me to do? I'll see if I can do it. That there helps you stay bonded and connected. So just sincerely caring for your partner. You know, you can have date nights. There's nothing wrong with that. And all those things are really helpful. Um, and they're important too, because you're carving out time and space for each other. That means you're prioritizing each other. And just that energy and that action alone can be very rewarding and very helpful for the, the growth and the love of the relationship. But it really begins with how you show your care and finding out with your partner, how do they want that? How do, and if both partners are doing that, you're meeting each other's base needs. And so you're, you're constantly feeling full within the dynamic of the relationship. Is it possible to mend the holes in the fence, so to speak? Is it possible after years of, of disconnect and, and challenge, uh, if both parties are interested to start to mend those um, points of contention? Unequivocal, yes. If, but, but you just, you, you nailed it. If both parties are, are really interested. Is it always going to happen? No. Is it possible? 100% yes. Yeah. And no matter how deep that quote unquote damage is, it is, it is possible. So is the step to uh, open lines of communication, bring in a therapist, bring in a mediator, what, yes. what, what, someone in the middle? That's, it's very helpful. It's, it's, but you both have to be willing to do that as well. It can just be very helpful and it can be, uh, I don't want to say relaxing, but it removes the burden of, oh shit, I need to do this by myself or we need to figure it out ourselves. And then there's a tension that can almost be, that can almost come with that, particularly if you're one of those people that, oh, I need to fix this or I need to make sure I achieve this goal. or Our goal is to come back together in harmony. So we have to make that happen at any cost. And having someone support you can bring a great deal of relief where you can just genuinely explore self and each other. Yeah, I think there's a benefit to the neutrality there, right? Is like so usually in, in every relationship, there's there's one dominant person or sometimes both dominant personalities, yeah. and then the neutrality of of removing judgment and bias is, I think, a necessary part of that equation. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, awesome, man. So moving along, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the toxic masculinity. You, you often mention this this concept and this term, and you know, I hear it thrown around a lot, uh, sometimes recklessly, and I'm curious. Um, what that means to you, and uh, you know, let's let's start there. So for me, I have an issue with the term because, in the context that it's largely seen, and so if toxic masculinity exists, toxic femininity has to exist. Of course. Yeah. So, is toxic masculinity the term um, wrong or inaccurate? Not necessarily. It depends how it's used and in what context. So let's let's just break that down a little bit. So masculine feminine energetics are two ways of being in the world, right? Masculine and feminine is not intrinsically connected to biology, although biology is a part of that, the masculinization and feminization of a human being. We use the terms to create contrast and contrast creates richness in learning. It helps us learn easier as human beings. That's really all it is. Both males and females and every human being carries these these complementary opposite energies within them. Some people will be more prone to having a natural core essence of masculinity, others feminine. I'm of the belief that most men have a natural core essence of masculinity. Natural is an interesting term. Are we saying it's completely innate or genetic or we're born with it to some degree, but there's also environment that influences that and culture and, and history and the collective unconscious and epigenetics and myriad other things, right? But essentially what happens is if we're being too much one way, and I'll give you an example of this, that, that essence can be quote unquote toxic, but other words to replace the word toxic is unhealthy or extreme and both work really well. 
So for example, if you're a leader and you are a, a relevant if you're a man or a woman, but if you're a leader with masculine qualities, so you're sort of, you're leading from the front, um, you're making big decisions, you're directing. Now, an unhealthy expression of that leadership may be autocratic and controlling and oppressive and power hungry and selfish. I would say that's unhealthy, unhealthy leadership or unhealthy masculine energy in leadership. But there are more healthier ways to be as well. And so, and the same can be in, in femininity as well, the feminine energy of, well, let's look at compassion can, is considered a feminine trait, right? It doesn't mean that men don't carry compassion, of course. But if that compassion all of a sudden turns to sympathy, turns to minimizing self and sacrificing self and becoming a martyr, I would say that's an unhealthy expression of compassion or femininity, a feminine within self. And now all of a sudden it's toxic or unhealthy. And all toxic just means is it's unsustainable. It's an unsustainable energetic to hold within oneself, either socially, individually, emotionally, psychologically, culturally, etc. So, you know, I'm okay with using the term toxic masculinity. It just has to be used in um, context of what we're referring to. And we have to understand that because some people, and there's a, there's a very trending belief, is that when, when they're saying toxic masculinity, they're essentially saying all men are bad and all men are fucked. Totally. That I, don't, I yeah. completely, for the fucking record, I completely disagree with that. 100% disagree with that. Not all men are bad. Are there some bad men according to people's values or even collective generalized cultural values? 100%. Right. Are all men bad and is all masculinity toxic? That's a ridiculous notion. Ridiculous. I, I, that's, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say to that. I, I just even logically trying to defend that that position is just almost fruitless to me because it makes no sense that anyone would think in absolute terms like that. But there are people that do think and believe that completely against that. Yeah. And it gets perpetuated in the media and, Correct. and that, yeah. And then people buy into the dialogue and the diatribe and then it becomes their belief system, just like yep. we're, we're speaking of. And I think it's important for people to realize things like, like you, you explain that so well. And I think you did an incredible job explaining all the things in the podcast and, and giving people super amounts of value uh, Thanks, to man. start, you know, starting with, with questioning your belief system. Right. Um, so the, the final thing I want to ask, because I think it's relevant, is you say that on, a, on an ongoing basis, you're dealing with some of your things that come up. And if you feel comfortable enough sharing, you don't have to get into details. I'm curious, you know, it sounds like you've got a very good grasp on a process and working through all these things. You've, you've worked through a lot of your, your inner, inner traumas, your inner um, dialogue, your inner belief systems. What does it look like now? What comes up? Oh, many different things come up, man. Like sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot in the world at the moment. And so sometimes I feel overwhelmed and, you know, I associate that overwhelm with, um, you know, cause I'm just sort of new levels, new devils, right? I'm just expanding, um, my, well, I suppose my window of tolerance, what I'm able to bring into the world, you know, with the businesses that I'm involved in and the impact that I'm making and the projects that I'm working on and the people that I'm interacting with. And at times that can get really overwhelming and I can get very agitated and abrasive and frustrated and like old stuff comes up and then even my own internal associations with overwhelm is like, well, why am I overwhelmed? I'm weak. I can't handle it. I should be able to handle more, you know, like that low self-worth piece comes in. Then I get frustrated at myself and that can spiral into shame. Now I'm feeling shame and just anger. And so I've got to work with that. I've got to do my emotional release processes. I lean into breath, sound and movement practice. I lean into self-reflective practice, whether it's journaling, whether it's thinking, I lean into breath practice, specifically in meditative practice. I lean into my brotherhood. I lean into my relationship with my wife. I lean into myself first and foremost and do my best to have take responsibility. I don't always get it right. Sometimes I'll snap and I'll be, again, abrasive and, and rude, but I don't mean to be, but that's where I've got to check myself and really, where is that coming from? So, you know, that's, that's some of the stuff that comes up. That's great. You said you're involved in a lot of projects now. What are you most excited about? Oh man, I'm going to say multiple things because that's just how I am. But um, my wife and I and another couple, we have a, a coaching institute where we're training coaches to be really healthy and effective coaches. I have my one-on-one -on -one practice. There are businesses so, with my wife and I. Oh, you want to say something? Yeah, coaching in, in what capacity? Yeah, so relationship coaching. I work with couples. I work with men, do men's coaching um, and, and run groups and, and so forth. But then I also work, a lot of my one-on-one -on -one clientele is with women, helping them really understand men and and navigate the the trauma that they have with the collective masculine and the individual masculine within their lives and even men within their lives as well, but just really helping them navigate that trauma. I'm trauma-informed and, and do deep work in that space. I was excited about the, um, you know, the 
investment businesses that Christine and I are able to get involved in um, and invest in friends, companies that are doing amazing things in the world. You know, that's really exciting as well. Um, do you want to, do you want to share, want to share any of those as I mentioned? hundred oh, yeah. percent. Yeah. I mean, my, my dear friend, Colin Gwynn, he's got a, uh, a company right now, gel blaster, gelblaster.com and it's toys, right? And it's bringing joy and fun and play into the lives of children and families. Yep. And it's a toy gun game, but it's super, super cool. They've it, j- check it out. Gelblaster.com giving him a plug. Um, and that's, that's something that's super, super fun. I'm an, adv- I'm an advisor in that company as well. And, um, you know, we work closely together. So that's, that's good fun. And just making a difference in the world, man, you know, Love Amplified, which is our brand, Christine and I together. And we have inner child workshops. We have um, relationship course that we're actually, that's coming out in, uh, in June. It's a, a, a virtual weekend retreat. That's going to be epic, you know, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and it's not just for people or couples. It's just for wanting when you want to just in, enhance and evolve the relationship and expand the relationship to yourself and to others. And you want to be in a relationship or you want to enhance the one you're in. This is for you. So love amplified is super powerful. We have breath work and meditation sequence. We run live events, just amazing things that are happening, you know, women's events and, 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 um, uh, open retreats as well. So just a lot on at the moment, man. And I'm just really enjoying life. And my connection with my wife is really on point at the moment. And, um, you know, we've, but it hasn't been like the last couple of months we've been working through some big stuff as well, but, you know, getting through that stuff in a really, um, healthy way has brought us closer together as well. So just a lot of excitement, the growth in, in life at the moment, man, I just feel really, really blessed. Man, I love it all. You're doing such an awesome job. You're, you're so complete in your thought process. It's unlike anyone I've ever heard, man, not to blow smoke, but good job. Thanks, um, yeah. It's best place for people to find you love amplified.com. Uh, yeah, definitely. That website's not completely up yet, but um, it will be very soon. Um, but stephanosafandos.com, um, growwithsteph.com, loveamplified.com, and social media, stephanosafandos. Awesome, man. I'm going to link to all of those in the show notes and so much more. Thank you so much, man. Truly uh, a, you know, a bit you, of a change. Bit of a change of pace for my audience, away from the typical fitness-oriented stuff. But you know what? Without uh, relationship wellness and mental wellness, nothing else matters. So uh, thank you for what you do, man. Hopefully you come back again another time. Definitely, brother. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.